And now, dear friends, the gemstone of our evening's diversion, an interlude of melody from that singular sweetheart of song, that beauteous balladeer, Mistress Emma McGill. <laughs> Snow was very plentiful and crumbs were very few. When a weather beaten sorrow threw, a mansion window flew. Her eye fell on a golden cage, a sweet love song she heard, sung by a pet canary there, a handsome yellow bird. He said to her, Miss Sparrow, I've been struck by Cupid's arrow. Will you share my cage with me? She looked up at his castle with its ribbon and its tassel. And in plaintive tones said she, Goodbye, little yellow bird, I'd gladly mate with you. I love you, little yellow bird, but I love my freedom too. Is that it for tonight then, Archie? Hmm? Not wearing your fingers out counting, are you? We've done worse, right? Have you talked to her? I'll get to it. Oh, time for the next coronation. I've just come from Danny Briggs. The offer still stands, but he and his partners aren't going to wait forever. Don't tell me, Vi. It's her ladyship standing in the way. You know what she says. Look, your dad didn't leave you his half of this old mausoleum just so the tax people could take it away. They stopped wanting her kind of music years ago. In a few months, we'll have nothing. All right. I'll talk to her. Oh. Could not be sold. She said, I must be going, but he cried, no, no, it's snowing, and the wintry winds do blow. Stay with me, my little dearie, for without you, t'would be dreary. But she only sighed, ah, oh, no. Goodbye, little yellow bird, I'd gladly mate with you. I love you, little yellow bird, but I love my freedom too. So goodbye, little yellow bird, I'd rather brave the cold on a leafless tree than a prisoner be in a Rest in peace, Angela Lansbury. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Punisher, control! Tell me before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Oh, 
episode 314, submission number 570, Beyond Westworld. Beyond Westworld aired on CBS from March 5th to March 19th, 1980, for five episodes, two of which went unaired. It began with Westworld. Three, two, one, activate now. A futuristic playground where people could act out their fantasies with robots so sophisticated it was impossible to tell them from humans. Your move. Suddenly, the robots changed, turned into the deadly servants of their creator, Simon Quaid, who took them beyond Westworld. I have an impregnable army of loyal and unquestioning troops. I've placed robots all over the world. He wants it all. He has one heck of a good chance of getting it with those robots. Delos, builders of Westworld, must stop Quaid. Assigned is security chief John Moore and special agent Pam Williams. Let's face it, John, it's your wits against Quaid's machines. In 1973, Michael Crichton, a young writer, directed his first ever screenplay. It was about artificial beings in a futuristic theme park run amok. And as you could probably tell, it was not Jurassic Park. That would be 20 years later. This was the story of Westworld. And in order to understand the story of Beyond Westworld, we have to briefly go over what Westworld was about. Westworld was a cult classic science fiction film that featured Richard Benjamin and James Brolin as guests at a theme park manned by what we would now call, here in 2022, hosts. Artificially intelligent robots that look act, feel, taste, touch, and behave like humans. And Westworld was one of three destinations for the Dallas Corporation. The other two, of course, being Roman World, sort of a pre-Columbian, pre-Christian Roman Empire deal, and Medieval World, a land of Arthurian legend of Wizards, warriors, knights, and um, maidens in distress, let's say? For a hefty fee, you could go to any one of the three worlds and basically live out whatever your fantasy is. Whether it's killing somebody or sleeping with somebody. And apparently, people really wanted to do this because... The Delos Corporation made a pretty penny until one fateful day when it all went to sh. Uh oh. Uh oh. Yeah, one of the highlights of the Westworld experience is the gunfighter, or the gunslinger in some versions. 
played by Yul Brynner, who was doing a send-up of his character in The Magnificent Seven. He starts by killing Jimmy Brolin. Oh, no, not James Brolin! Yeah, he's not supposed It's like, I've been shot! Wait a minute, that's not supposed to happen. And then he falls over dead. Well, if he kills James Brolin, how is Josh Brolin going to be in Deadpool 3? I don't know! We can rebuild him! We have the technology! That's another show! Sorry! So, this kicks off a battle of wits between Richard Benjamin's character and Yul Brynner's character. And, to put a long story short... Richard Benjamin uses his brains and his wits to outsmart the gunslinger's base programming, leaving him the only person alive in Westworld. Fast forward a couple years later, Westworld is leveled and replaced with a sequel, Future World. This is all in a sequel movie entitled Future World. Where people from all over the world are invited to come experience future world and all of the improvements made upon the hosts, only to discover that they're currently being shopped out and replaced with hosts. All the people who visit future world are being shopped out and replaced with lookalike hosts. That's a really good movie if you want to take a look at it. We're not going to go over it here. Now, when you think about Westworld and you think about television, the 2016 HBO series comes to mind, right? Yes. It's been in development forever. I remember a couple of years where I was reading up on it and thinking, is this TV show ever going to come out? And if it does, is it going to be any good? Well, they got the likes of Evan Rachel Wood, James Marsden, Jeffrey Wright, Tendway Newton, Tessa Thompson, and of course, Sir Anthony Hopkins. Of course it was good. Season 4 notwithstanding. I mean, Season 1 was incredible. Season 2 was amazing. Season 3 was... Okay? Season 4, it went completely off the rails. I'm fully expected that uh, HBO is going to renew it for a fifth and final. Well, I've never seen Westworld, so I wouldn't know. So It's a really good show. That's what I hear. Yeah. Just, you know, you don't have to watch season 4. In fact, I would uh, advise against it. But that's not the show we're here to talk about. The show we're here to talk about was a 1980 entry on CBS. It was developed by Lou Shaw, and it got to the heart of what went wrong in the original Westworld. It's like, okay, all of the robots are turning against humans. All of the hosts are turning against the guests. But why? Now, it could be a virus. It could be just a malfunction, but what if there was a more 
sinister explanation. It was an inside job, so to speak. That's not possible. Those people were carefully screened. It wasn't the people. What do you mean? It was the robots. Where's Professor Oppenheimer? He'll meet us at Westworld. Just how much do you know about Westworld? I set up security there before it opened, that's all. The professor's asked me to brief you. Westworld shut down each night at 2 a.m. The robots were left where they were deactivated. At dawn, the computer room went back into operation. Westworld will activate in 30 seconds. That day started like any other, with all the usual procedures. 20 seconds. Those were some of the most highly trained experts in the world. What do you mean, were? You'll see. 15 seconds. It's hard to imagine the guests could believe the robots were real. Those aren't ordinary machines. They're complicated pieces of equipment, almost as complicated as living organisms. They're so complex that their circuitry had to be worked out by other computers. That's what makes them so incredibly real. Guests and robots mingled, went about their business. It was a marvelous playground where no one could get hurt. Who hasn't dreamed of beating up the bad guy or facing down a gunfighter? Your move. And then it started. The computer control room was destroyed. So you couldn't turn the robots off? No. But they can go on their own power on a, on a stored charge for up to 12 hours. Suddenly, they just stopped following our instructions. Or started following someone else's. No idea who it might have been? Him. Professor Oppenheimer's assistant, Simon Quaid. Mr. Quaid, I've intercepted the new beam off the Navy's ocean surveillance satellite. I'll be right with you. That's good. Mark it. USS Ramora, right on schedule. If the Navy changes channels again, find it as quickly as you can. I must keep our radio frequency open to the robot aboard. So that is the basic crux of the Westworld story and how it relates to Beyond Westworld. Security Chief John Moore is dispatched to find all of the robots that Simon Quaid, who is basically playing Dr. Wiley at this point to Dr. Oppenheimer's Dr. Light, Mega Man reference, in moving all of the robots that he created beyond the Dellers Parks into our world, and while we're at it, total domination and all-consuming power over every living thing on the planet. So yeah, Simon Quaid, he's a bad man. He's no good. He's a very bad man. No, he's no good. He's a jabroni. He's a jabroni. He no respect the legend, Bubba. So John Moore... And his partner, 
are dispatched all over the world wherever Simon Quaid may show up to activate one of the hosts who is hiding in plain sight beyond Westworld. Now, in order to fully understand and fully enjoy this TV show, you have to do just one thing. Forget that Future World was ever made. Good. Okay. All right, let's talk about who was in Beyond Westworld. Playing the role of Security Chief John Moore was Jim McMullen. Jim McMullen, known primarily as a that guy from that thing, he played General Morgan Fenimore on a 1992 scene of Santa Barbara, played Senator Andrew Dowling on 14 episodes of Dallas during the 1986 season, but was mostly known as Dr. Terry McDaniel on the classic Ben Casey. He's one of those people who has played anything and everything. Sadly, died in 2019. Oh, so it's a recent passing. Yes. Playing his nemesis, Dr. Simon Quaid, the creator of the hosts, and the person responsible for bringing all of the hosts beyond Westworld, is James Wainwright. Another that guy from that thing. But he was in a whole lot of really big stuff during the 1970s and the 1980s. It's hard for me to pin down one single role that he's known for. So this would probably end up being it. Although he did play uh, Cully in nine episodes of Daniel Boone, which is perhaps the most known and the longest of his career. Now, in the pilot episode, the pilot and the lady that you just heard in that clip was an assistant agent, Laura Garvey. She's an agent of the uh, Delos Corporation. She was played by Judith Chapman. Judith Chapman was a veteran of all my stories. She was in uh, Ryan's Hope, General Hospital, Silk Stockings. Oh, hi, Silk Stockings. She played six different characters on six different episodes of Silk Stockings. Six different characters on six different episodes of Silk Stockings. Wow. But mostly, you can see her right now as Gloria Baldwin Fisher Abbott Bardwell on The Young and the Restless. Oh, that's terrific. The Young and the Restless. That is the show on CBS that you watch in the daytime that isn't Let's Make a Deal or The Price is Right. Yeah, pretty much. That theme song, though. That theme song is classic. And rounding out the cast is Joseph Oppenheimer who was the main driving force behind the Delos Corporation and the hosts of Westworld, played by William Jordan, who you might remember as Mr. Borg in Kingpin. Oh, Kingpin. What a classic movie that is. Indeed. Uh, Woody Harrelson is just absolute gold in that movie. And Bill Murray. Don't forget Bill Murray as the heel in that movie. The the second best bowling-themed movie ever. 
What's the first? The dude abides. Come on, get with the program. Oh, Big Lebowski. Yeah. 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 I mean, obviously. Obviously. Now, uh, Judith Chapman and Laura Garvey were only in the one episode. Because her character was written out and replaced with Pamela Williams, played by Connie Selica. And if you don't know who Connie Selica is, what podcast are you listening to? We're talking about uh, previous entry Flying High, but mostly as another Pam, Pam Davidson, on The Greatest American Hero. Also married some guy named John Tesh. Who's he? I heard he composed, like, some theme about a rock. A round ball rock? Something like that. The rest of the show plays out as a sort of plot of the week slash robot of the week. Discover a robot missing. Find out where the robot is. Try and figure out who the robot is. Disable the robot. Try and catch Quaid while you're at it. That's basically the summary of all five episodes. So that leaves the question, how do you search for a man who's a machine when the machine looks like a man? Well, let's figure that one out, shall we? Now, again, there were only five episodes in the entire series, with two of them having finished before the show was canceled. First episode, Westworld Destroyed. John Moore is assigned to hunt down Simon Quaid, who has some androids that he proposes to use to further his own ends. The first one is hiding amongst the crew of a U.S. nuclear submarine, presumably with warheads aimed toward Delos. I mean, we've all dreamed of blasting our employers into smithereens. He has the means and the technology to do so. We should all be scared. Now, inheriting the role of the gunslinger from Yul Brynner is Alex Kubik. Now, if you see the end of Westworld, you can understand why the gunslinger was rebuilt. I'll give you a hint. Richard Benjamin burned his face off. Oh, okay. He burned his face off. Yeah. And Alex Kubik was in pretty much everything during the 70s, 80s, and 90s. He, too, was in an episode of Sulk Stalkings. Oh, that's great. What season of Sulk Stalkings? Uh, what season in 1993? I want to say it was season it was one. Season. No, season three. It was season three. Wait, 93 would have been the first season. No, it was, se- it was season three, episode five. 1993 may have been the first season on USA, but remember, it was on CBS for two seasons late night. Uh, one notable, actually two notable names in this episode, playing the role of a sailor in one of his earliest roles, Nicholas Guest. Nick Guest. And, uh, Greg, you and I have talked about Nick Guest before. We did? He was a cadet on Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, he was one of the cadets in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. But he would be most notable as um, the headmaster of the American Academy in France on the uh, cable series USA High. It was basically Saved by the Bell if it was on the USA Network. And terrible. And terrible. Yeah, pretty much. And isn't he uh, related to Christopher Guest? He's the younger brother of Christopher Guest. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. He's the younger brother of Christopher Guest. Yep. And fun fact, uh, both Chris Guest and Nick Guest are the offspring of an American citizen and an English lord. Peter Hayden Guest, the fourth baron of Salling in Essex, an actor and dancer who ended up as a UN diplomat. Oh, neat! And the second recognizable face as a dance hall girl, Cassandra Peterson. Elvira! Elvira. Oh, that's great. Elvira. Hey there, it's Mike. We're going to try something new starting with this episode. We're going to take a little commercial break. Now, we're not selling out to anybody. We're not advertising uh, anything like uh, uh, Nugenics or any sort of man pills or or fancy underwear or anything like that. You'll enjoy these. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a few minutes. After these messages, we'll be right back. Will you be the one to witness the birth of the incredible Nintendo Entertainment System? The one to play with Rob, the extraordinary video robot, batteries not included. He helps you tackle even the toughest challenge. Will you be the first to raise the incredibly accurate Zapper and play games like Duck Hunt or action-packed Hogan's Alley and high-flying Kung Fu, each sold separately? Will you be the one to experience the Nintendo Entertainment System? Comes with Rob, Zapper, Control Deck, two controllers, Gyromite, and Duck Hunt. The first to capture everyone else's mouse is the winner. Just turn the crank and snap the blank and boot the marble right down the chute. Now watch it roll and hit the pole and knock the ball in the rubber up tub, which fits the man into the fan. The trap is set. Here comes the net. Ouch! Mouse trap. I guarantee it's the craziest trap you'll ever see. I knew you were a winner. Mouse trap from Milton Bradley. Good morning was brought to you by X-Lax. Trust X-Lax for effective overnight release. Well, that's one last thing to dust. It's an evening of firsts on TGIF. Will you go to the dance with me? No. It's Urkel's first homecoming dance on Family Matters. Then, Frank needs some first aid. Step by step. Help me. Then, it's baby's first dirty word. What do you call me? Dinosaurs, and it's Dorfman's first job. I want you to have these. These are for the patient in room 301. The guy's in a coma. Live a little. Camp Wilder, it's an evening of firsts on TGIF. TGIF. And now back to the show. Chico, episode two, please. Episode two. My brother's keeper. In order to further his criminal activities, Quaid blackmails a large oil company 
Moore and Williams search for the android posing as a company employee in order to defeat Quaid's scheme. But you think that was bad? It gets worse. Oh, it gets worse? Yeah. Quaid manages to create a host that looks exactly like Pamela. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And she has eyes on putting John Moore down for good. Uh, playing one of the uh, executives in this episode, a Charles Vincent, is Jack Carter. Legend Jack Carter. Oh, yeah, who we just talked about in the Beyond Belief live show, the last one we did a while back at the time we were taping this, because he played Terry Funk's manager in that episode, where Terry Funk basically beat the guy who played Jesse Ventura in the Jesse Ventura story to death. Yeah, uh, the big story here is Quaid plans to get control of an oil company by using the brother of the owner who's a degenerate gambler. Quaid bought his debts and tells the man that his debts will be settled if he signs over a majority interest in the company. But he knows the only way that'll happen if it's his brother takes him back, which he won't do, or if his brother dies. John, upon learning of this, tells the owner who refuses to let this alter his plans, specifically when his football team has a big game coming up. So John tries to protect him by trying to find Quaid's robot. Another name in this episode, Bobby Van, playing a role as Danny. Oh, wow, Bobby Van. Yeah, we talked about it many times on this podcast. Of course, he was the husband of Elaine Joyce. And the Stoner brothers are played by, uh, one was played by Christopher Connolly, who is sadly no longer with us, but he played Henry in the original Benji movie. And Dean Stoner, the one who actually runs the company, is played by Jeff Cooper, who basically spent 19 early episodes as Dr. Simon Elby in Dallas. He was also on an episode of previous entry, The Powers of Matthew Starr. Episode 3, The Sound of Terror. In order to construct an atomic weapon... Quaid steals uranium from a nuclear power plant. Meanwhile, Moore and Williams attempt to identify the rock band member who is actually an android. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. By the way, uh, one of the members of the rock band, a guy by the name of Power, played by a guy by the name of René Aubergeon-Noir. Oh, yes. Man of many talents. Clayton Endicott the third from Benson. Yeah. Or a changeling by the name of Odo. By the way, the band is called Power and Ruth. What kind of a name is that? It's the 80s. They were naming bands after flocks of seagulls. Who wireless? Who wireless? Another member of the band, guy by the name of Mace, was played by Dirk Blocker, a.k.a. Hitchcock from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and son of Dan Blocker from Bonanza. That's right. Put some respect on that name. Dan Blocker. 
Now, uh, according to uh, IMDb, there was a notable mistake in this episode. It stated that the robot stealing the uranium would have died if it were human. It would have been highly radioactive afterwards for years. The entire band would have also died from radiation poisoning very quickly. It would have been obvious who the robot was. These facts are ignored and glossed over. Now, if I was an agent looking for a robot trying not to uh, endanger any humans, I would want to know that sort of thing. But hey, anything to add to the supposed fantasy of this world. Remember, this is a world where robots walk among us and nobody knows who is who. So you know what? I'm not even going to question it. And also in this episode, oh my gosh, Otis Day! Otis Day? Otis Day! You know, from Animal House? Yeah, Animal House, yeah. Shout now. Go up and shout now. And by the way, the Ruth in Power and Ruth, Roddy Blakely, who played Barbara Jean in the 1975 Robert Altman film Nashville, also played Marge Thompson in the original Nightmare on Elm Street. And those were the three episodes that actually aired. They had five in the can, but after the third episode, we're going to look at the schedule in a bit. But after the third episode, CBS was like, nope. 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 I imagine the ratings were terrible and the reviews were even worse. So CBS pulled the remaining order and we had to wait until the entire series was released on DVD. Or... If you're living overseas, you got the other two episodes. Because, hey, might as well air them. Not making any more, right? Pretty much. So here is episode four, The Lion. The Delos team discovers Westworld electronics in the debris left after an experimental car is destroyed. More must discover if the explosion is part of Quaid's latest scheme. Among the many guest stars in this episode, Patrick, played by Russell Johnson. He was uh, lost on an island on CBS before. So I heard. Episode 5, Takeover. Moore and his team discover that one of Quaid's androids is posing as a police officer in the governor's security detail. The governor, Eric Harper, is played by Robert Alda, who we all remember, once again, from Super Train. Why is it always coming back to Super Train? It's that era. It always comes back to Super Train. Okay. And a lot of no names in this episode. Uh, playing Liz Nicholson is Julie Summers before Matlock. Playing Mike Nicholson who is the captain of police, is Monty Markham. He was in The Six Million Dollar Man and Baywatch, among other things. And playing the role of Jack Edwards, who I imagine, with his physique, could have very well have been the android of the week, Martin Cove. Oh yeah, Martin Cove. 
biggest heel on Netflix today. Oh, you're telling me. Sensei John Kreese. No mercy. Strike first, strike fast, no mercy. Quaid is making his next move, and he begins by sending one of his robots to attack a police captain. This catches John's attention. He thinks Quaid has a robot planted in the department, so he goes in as a transfer. But some of the other cops don't exactly welcome him with open arms because he's taking the spot of a cop who was unjustly suspended. And just so happens, the governor is going to make a visit, and the police will be providing security. So that could be Quaid's target. What Moore doesn't know is that Quaid has also implanted a device in the captain's brain to control him. All a little bit hard to believe, but then again, that's the story. I mean, we have John Moore, who is a security agent, who is basically able to slip into any role that the situation provides itself, and his partner, Pam Williams, who could do the same thing. But this being the late 70s, early 80s, and by the way, it looks like it was the late 70s, early 80s. I mean, this show was released in 1980, right? It looks like it was produced a whole lot earlier, if you follow. It looks like it was produced 10 years earlier from that three-minute clip you showed. Yeah, you should watch the entire series. It's really something. Now, not to take away from any of the successes, because the show was nominated for two Primetime Emmy Awards in uh, Makeup and Art Direction. That's got to count for something, right? Yeah. But yeah, the show was basically formulaic. The acting, ironically, was more robotic than the robots. And that's saying a lot. It really is. I can understand why it died a very quick death. Because it's time to look at the schedule. Now, on March 5th, when it premiered, it was a Wednesday. It was up against real people. Oh, yeah. No, you're not being real people. Yep, they were hoping to uh, get a little bit of mileage out of that. They kept it on for another two weeks. But then they decided to just cut their losses. And I'm not really sure what was put on in its place. I want to say it was just like a series of reruns of other shows. Oh, by the way, there's a couple of uh, recurring characters we forgot to mention. Playing the role of Foley, one of Quaid's assistants, is Severn Darden, who is known primarily as a founding member of Second City Chicago. Oh, okay. He played Culp, the human leader in the uh, fourth and fifth Planet of the Eights films. The ones we don't talk about. And he also played in the episode of Fairy Tale Theater, The Princess Who Had Never Laughed. As Anne McCurry was played by Nancy Harewood. Although she's credited as Anne McCurry. Not known for much aside from this. Although she did play Lieutenant Nara in a 1994 episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. 
And doing the research for this episode, I found where there was an episode that featured George Takei. And I'm thinking to myself, I couldn't find him in any of the episodes, in any of the research that was available to us. So, who the heck knows? I can go ahead and tell you, though, that uh, sometime in the mid-2000s, in 2014, when just around the time that HBO decided, you know what we need? A Westworld reboot. In July 29th, 2014, Warner Home Video released the complete season on its manufacturer-on-demand Warner premiere service. Of course, uh, back then it would be called Warner Archive. But if you can't be bothered by handling cumbersome media, like uh, that lady from the 40th anniversary of the CD show last week, yeah, I'm still going to beat that to a pulp here. You can watch all five episodes streaming on the streaming service of your choice, be it Prime Video, YouTube TV, Google Play, or iTunes. Uh, all five episodes run at about $13. And that's pretty much it. I mean... Beyond Westworld is the long-lost, forgotten sort of stepchild of a cult classic movie, and they would take sort of bits and pieces of that, mix it with the movie itself, and get the 2016 series, which, you know, continues to enjoy success today. But nothing's really known about it. I mean, what can you say about it? You're taking a bunch of killer robots, you're giving them a boss, you're putting them out in the world, and you're daring two daring agents to say, here we are, come and get me if you can. I mean, you can't even try and pin down a premise because it was basically as formulaic as the cop shows were in that day. Anything to add? The HBO series is definitely better. Yeah. What can we say? The movie was really good. It was a masterclass in storytelling. It didn't really go into the specifics of the androids until it absolutely had to. Same with the 2016 TV series, which left the 1980 series with a whole lot of holes to flush out, like what caused the androids to run amok in the first place? Oh, this guy. He felt underappreciated under the thumb of his boss of a giant corporation and wanted to take over the world using his army of robots. Who, by the way, run on the same technology as a VHS cassette, according to IGN. And by the way, IGN also has a few more details about the last two episodes that were never released stateside. The lion, Quaid, tries to sabotage a futuristic car that would make the oil industry obsolete. He was trying to take over the oil industry, and now he's trying to take over a car that would defeat the oil industry. And in TakeOver, he tries a new trick. A computer chip surgically implanted inside a police commissioner's brain. Ah, oh, here we go. 
by George Takei, of all people, that will control his mind. After John Moore saves the day, Quaid literally vows never to use that chip again because he likes robots better. But yeah, Beyond Westworld is a TV show that basically takes all of the themes through the original movie and the current TV series, paranoia, fear, acting out, what happens when fantasy becomes reality, and the future of human behavior as we know it, and it basically trades it in for a bad guy of the week formula. But watching it now, especially given what we know about the franchise as a whole, I'm convinced the only reason that people will remember this show is because of the title. Yeah, that's pretty much the reason anyone will remember it, because of the current show and everything. Not not just the name of the current show, but again, remember who created it, Michael Crichton. What has Michael Crichton created? Where should we start? Jurassic Park, ER, go from there. It's just another title in Michael Crichton's legacy. Maybe not yeah. the best title, but a title. Yeah, I'm just thinking to myself, Jurassic Park was basically Westworld with dinosaurs instead of androids. You replace a uh, gunslinger with a raptor or a buxom saloon babe with a baby triceratops, and you're basically telling the same story. But this show basically whittles it down to brass tacks and doesn't really expand or enhance upon anything. And we never really understood, okay, Westworld's destroyed. The robots are on the loose. They're being controlled by one guy. We're going to find the guy. Nobody ever talks about what they're going to do once they find him. And if I'm not mistaken, John Moore and Simon Quaid did meet face-to-face -face one time. I mean, John Moore could have killed him down. But then again, if he killed him, how would he find all the robots? So I guess that makes sense that I think about it. Special agents come in to clean up a corporation's big mess. And all because a guy has a really big inferiority complex. In 2016, Westworld was revolutionary in storytelling, special effects, and everything else that can be uh, described. But in 1980, beyond Westworld, boy, it was a thing on TV. Thoughts, guys? Yeah, I don't think I have any thoughts. I think you just said everything that needs to be said about that. So, I think maybe it may have been a little ahead of its time, possibly. Maybe. I don't know. At the same time, you did have uh, other sci-fi shows uh, in that era talking about like Battlestar Galactica, and we've talked about Jason of Star Command, even though that was a Saturday morning TV show. I saw the clip that you uh, played earlier and it does look like something that, yeah, while it might be like 
somewhat stereotypically 70s-ish, it's something that could maybe air a few years later in the 80s, 84, 85-ish. Yeah, I mean, I imagine if they gave this a little more time to uh, marinate, they could come up with something that looks and feels almost true to the original series. As it is, it's basically, uh, hey, look, here's a guy operating out of a room in a bunker somewhere with his army of robots. Yes, the room where it happens. The room where Quaid monitors all of his robots are staffed by hosts. Apparently, Quaid can't trust anyone anymore. Well, we don't have an army of robots, and we can't promise you a vacation that you'll never forget, for all the right reasons, anyway. We can't promise that you'll have 400 really good to fair to middling to downright poor episodes on our website. It was a thing on TV.com. We have all the uh, previous entries, the minisodes, the live watches... And, of course, links to all of our social media at It Was A Thing On TV, except for Facebook, which was taken over by Simon Quaid briefly. So we're left with It Was A Thing On TV podcast. And, of course, we are also on YouTube. Just remember, like, comment, subscribe, hit the notification bell to stay up to date on all of our future entries. Greg and I are going to talk about something that's going on later this week. Yeah, because apparently an era started, and we didn't even know this was an era. I didn't know it was an era. No. Mike, did you know this was an era? I did not know this was an era. No. Yeah, well, um, there is a movie on Netflix that spawned a series of movies on Netflix. And the original movie was based off of a YA novel. I took one look at that movie, and all I could say is, man, they'll make a movie out of anything. Yeah, they'll make a movie, as I've said many times, they'll make a movie out of any YA book. They'll make anything out of a YA book. Yeah. This film got two sequels. Death Note did not get any. That's crap. But at least Vampire Academy got a Peacock series. True. Before we talk about next week's shows, we should mention this episode will be coming out on the Place to Be Nation on Wednesday, October 19th. So that is the date when we are going to be starting our Election Day poll for what we'll be covering in early November. And we all have our entries, right? Yes. So we got three nominees. We're going to post it on the Facebook page. I'm going to create a poll. So everyone's going to vote on it. It's not going to be a direct Facebook poll. So it's going to be different this time. It's going to be an actual poll on a website. There's going to be three nominees. Voting is going to be open on October 19th. And it's going to close on October 26th. Right before we do the taping for that episode. So there are three nominees. So, Mike, what is your nominee? My nominee is Fish. Fish. 
That's right, fish. Who doesn't love fish? Oh, that's an excellent choice. Chico, what's your choice? My nominee is a new take on an old idea. The new monkeys. There was a new monkeys? There was a new monkeys. Oh, yeah, there was a new monkeys. It was horrible. It was terrible. It was released around the time of the new Gong Show. So, Oh, that explains it. And, of course, my pick is the 1991 CBS Farrah Fawcett Ryan O'Neill show, Good Sports. Because we needed an excuse to talk about Farrah Fawcett and Ryan O'Neill. But do we really? No, no, we don't. No. Those are the three, and now it's all on you. We're going to put up the poll October 19th, leave it up for a week, and whatever gets the most votes, we're going to talk about in, in November. So, be voting, all right? Next week, we're going to start our Halloween-themed episodes for this year. But before that, we're going to talk about something, well, there's a little hint in this episode. I'm sure you can find it. Until then, enjoy the rest of your week. We'll see you on Monday with that new episode right here on It Was a Thing on TV. Thanks for listening. Greg, give us a roar. Say something, boy. I said you talk too much. I had to make me shut up.